The world will continue to drown in plastic waste unless a bold and comprehensive set of policy changes is applied. This is according to Peak Plastics Bending the Consumption Curve, a new report by Back to Blue, an initiative of Economist Impact and the Nippon Foundation. The report stresses that a piecemeal approach will simply not do. Welcome to the Back to Blue podcast. I'm Gillian Parker from Economist Impact. And today we delve into how we can decisively tackle plastic waste that is polluting our ocean and land environments. In what has been coined the biggest green deal since Paris, negotiators are working to forge a legally binding United Nations Treaty by 2024, which will reduce plastic pollution. Back to Blue's new report models the outcome of three key policies on the negotiation table, that cover the entire life cycle of plastic from production to disposal. So to discuss the new report and how we can tackle the plastic crisis, my guest today is Winnie Lau, Project Director of the Preventing Ocean Plastics Project at the Pew Charitable Trusts. Welcome, Winnie. Thank you, Gillian. I'm happy to be here. We looked at the G20 countries for the purpose of our study, but would you expect to see similar levels of consumption rise globally with the potential rise to be more intense with the growth of the middle class in emerging economies, for example? Yes, uh, based on Pew's report, Breaking the Plastic Wave, I would expect similar concerns. We found that uh, trajectories of plastic demand and pollution globally over the next 20 years, that under the business as usual scenario, total plastic waste generation could increase by a factor of two by 2040, which is very similar to the findings of the Back to Blue report. And one of the main reasons is that waste infrastructure is not going to be able to keep up with this exponential growth in plastic production. And as a result, plastic leakage to the ocean without massive intervention, nearly triple. Our analysis showed that through an integrated application of upstream and downstream interventions, under a system change approach, we could fulfill the global demand for plastic in 2040 with roughly the same amount of plastic as we have in the system today. In fact, with 11% lower levels of virgin plastic production, decoupling plastic growth from economic growth. Like you said, it is going to take that system change. Um, And there are plenty of different interests that are going to be trying to express their own viewpoint in these negotiations. How do you expect the UN Plastics Treaty to shape up? And what are the learnings that we can take from the Paris Agreement? And what sort of differences would you anticipate this treaty should have for maximum impact? Yeah, so the findings in the Back to Blue Plastic Report highlight the level of ambition and sense of urgency that the global community will need to bring to the table to negotiate the UN Plastics Treaty. And it's going to be important to strike a balance between enabling countries to take an approach that is tailored to the geographic and socioeconomic conditions, while also establishing a harmonized approach and unified obligations and control measures under the UN Global Treaty. And we know that from our research, plastic pollution is a solvable problem, but it's one where all stakeholders will have to come together and put in place all the known solutions ambitiously and immediately. In the new report, though, we assume that the mandatory implementation of scenarios such as an extended producer responsibility scheme or a levy on the production of virgin resin 
what role do you think the UN Treaty can play to make some of these interventions mandatory? And what are some of the steps that are needed across countries to implement such policies? So the UN Treaty could help ensure that countries are taking a harmonized approach to policies to prevent plastic pollution. For example, EPR is a key tool in addressing plastic pollution, but many countries are yet to establish such schemes. In 2021, more than 150 leading businesses and other organizations from across the packaging value chain publicly recognize that without EPR, packaging collection and recycling is unlikely to be meaningfully scaled and tens of millions of packaging will continue to end up in the environment every year. I guess one of the aspects of the EPR scheme is the ability, though, to effectively collect the rubbish that we no longer need. What are perhaps some of the key bottlenecks that you foresee in terms of trying to roll out much better waste management programs? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. What we found is that In many of the places, the existing infrastructure is not enough to handle the amount of plastic waste that's being generated. And so one of the key challenges in tackling the plastic production, consumption, and pollution problem is to ensure that we have adequate infrastructure to handle the plastic waste that's being generated. Part of that will be providing the funding necessary to increase the infrastructure needs But another part is also to find ways to reduce the plastic waste that's being generated so that the capacities can be met in a way that allows countries to handle what is coming through the system. Another aspect that we looked at in the report is the banning of problematic and unnecessary single-use plastic products. So that's one of the scenarios that we've studied How do you think these policies can be better designed so they have more impact than they currently do? And what might be some of the drawbacks of bans? There are already certain countries that have decided to do away with certain single-use plastics. But what we found is that there's going to be different solutions needed for different countries. And these policies should be flexible enough for countries to take into consideration differences in infrastructure such as for waste management and water delivery. And there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all approach. Countries need to ask themselves which plastics are necessary and assess what they can change. And the UN Treaty can put in place guidance and standards to help countries make these decisions and to help them monitor whether what they've put in place will be effective. Another thing to consider is that we need to also look beyond bans and look at how we can reduce the consumption of plastic by building the policy incentives for reuse and recycling systems and alternative substitute materials where appropriate. So we need to take a systems approach. So Winnie, you mentioned the importance of perhaps a a design element and sort of this is part of the whole systems approach. Is that sort of approach to design part of a potential EPR scheme, for instance? What are the sort of design elements that, say, fast-moving consumer good companies are considering? Yeah, actually, design is a key part of tackling the plastic pollution problem. For example, when products are being designed, they can first consider whether they can design the product with little or no plastic to begin with. And in that case, you have little or no waste 
to manage. And if plastic is needed, then the design can take into consideration how to make the product at the end of life more easily recyclable and more cheaply recyclable. So we also need to consider designing products that can be more easily recyclable at the end of life so that they can, in fact, be recycled and be incorporated back into the plastic system. And lastly, we also need to consider designing products so that they do not have the harmful chemicals that can leach into the environment and harm people and nature. In the course of the research, we looked at this sort of more prickly option of a levy on plastic producers. The petrochemicals industry in particular is opposed to a levy on virgin resin and maintain that it's not going to be effective in terms of reducing plastic waste and are very much focused on this sort of EPR schemes and the downstream. Would you say that a levy on plastic producers is an important aspect that the treaty should address? The treaty has to consider all of the options that are on the table. As we speak, a truckload or more of plastics is going into our ocean every minute. So we have to ask ourselves, what are all the ways that can move the needle and reduce impacts on human health and our economy? One of the challenges in reducing plastic production and plastic pollution is the economics. Right now, recycled plastic resin often costs more than virgin plastic resin. So we have to find ways to incentivize the use of more recycled plastic in order to keep more plastic out of the waste stream and out of our environment. So the uh, levy on plastic producers is one of the three potential scenarios that we studied in the report are up for debate by the negotiators of the UN Plastic Treaty, which they hope to sign next year. Even when all three are applied, we find that plastic consumption will slow, but there's no real dramatic peak. What are some of the other measures on the table that you believe can help curb consumption of plastic and hopefully plastic waste? Yeah, so our research shows that we must have solutions across the whole life cycle of plastic. And importantly, we need to put in place all of the known solutions we have today in order to bend the curve on plastic production and plastic waste generation. So other measures that could be considered as part of the UN treaty negotiation would be possibly a version plastic production cap or reduction target, ambitious reduction and reuse targets, establishing guidelines for where material substitution is appropriate, removing subsidies to oil and gas extraction and plastic production, and establishing subsidies and other policy incentives to support reuse systems. By putting in place all the different solutions that we know of today, we would be able to bend that curve on plastic production and pollution. UN treaty negotiations are often pretty fraught with infighting. Parties want to demonstrate willingness without giving up too much ground. Do you have a sense, though, Winnie, that given the momentum behind the issue of plastic waste, given it's something that we see every day and you know, very dramatic sort of shots of how it really sort of hurts our marine life in particular, do you think that we might see some credible, ambitious action being taken through this UN treaty? I have to be optimistic, I think, um, first off. And I believe that the momentum is there right now and 
the desire and the willingness to act is there right now. And the key will be to go into these negotiations with high ambition and then working together to identify the solutions and the policies that the global treaty could include. And part of it is coming to the table, helping negotiators with information and data to help them make the decisions. And the other part is to continue to build public awareness so that the negotiators can continue to feel the mandate to come up with an ambitious UN Global Treaty on Plastic Pollution. Great. Thank you, Winnie. I think it's good to end on a positive note. And thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise with us. It's great to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you so much, Gillian. Thank you for listening to the Back to Blue podcast, part of an initiative of Economist Impact and the Nippon Foundation. I spoke to Winnie Lau, Project Director for the Preventing Ocean Plastics Project at the Pew Charitable Trusts. And you can find more information on the Back to Blue initiative at backtobueinitiative.com or you can visit the link in the show notes to access more information. Thank you for listening.